Do you want to come in a bit more, or shall I turn you up? Turn me up a little bit. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for that image. <laughs> but what if there is no tomorrow? There wasn't one today. Fascinating. Get away from her, you bitch! I'm Batman. Do or do not. There is no tomorrow. Hello and welcome to episode 101 of the Nerdfest podcast. This week's nerds are John Farling, Andy Chandler, Peter Johnson, Dan Watkins, and I'm Hazel Chandler. We have got a bumper episode for you today. We're going to be belatedly celebrating recording 100 episodes with some fun and games, and we'll be creating the Nerdfest Room 101. So let's start our show. Is this sort of episode 102? Yes. Yeah. Our, our live podcast festival one didn't have a number, it did didn't. it? Yeah, no. so technically we're two out, but, yeah. you know. Okay, that's fine. Just, just Figures checking. don't matter, do they? Not, not really. Not really, no. no. But I think it's 100 episodes. Like, yeah. more than 50% of podcasts don't get more than 10 episodes through. Yeah. So I think we should celebrate. Peter, as the editor, do you remember when we were able to do two episodes in one day because we were so efficient? When it didn't take <laughs> us three hours to record a single episode. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That was much easier. Is that back before I joined the podcast? How many episodes have I been on, Peter? (laughs) Don't answer that because that might be coming up later. (laughs) I don't actually know the answer. I was only going to guess. I remember episode one. Hazel had just seen Thor Ragnarok Mm -hmm. and possibly Robocop for the first time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You you can say that's not on the quiz. And he didn't Mm -hmm. exist. He didn't, (laughs) Are you saying he only existed once Hazel had imagined him? I, I, well... (laughs) I mean, she would tell her. <laughs> oh, what, about the experiment? About Andy not being real. <laughs> He's too good to be true. That's what Hazel yeah. would say. What? I prefer the term <laughs> artificial intelligence. <laughs> I was being built in a factory when you recorded the When first you say episode. artificial. And when do you say intelligence? Did you guys do a weird science experiment? <laughs> yeah, I mean, visually, he looked like Kelly LeBrock, so... <laughs> <laughs> you know the bit where her boobs get bigger? And <laughs> I mean, if you're not happy with any part of that, if you like it to expand or contract, we can do that. <laughs> Don't answer that. No, I'm, I'm going to swiftly move the subject. So, yeah, it is episode 101, but we are going to be celebrating 100 episodes because... Well, I think you were all very nice and said, because I couldn't make the last episode on account of being under anaesthetic, (laughs) uh, we would celebrate today. We really wanted you to do it, but on morphine. (laughs) Because we were getting some interesting messages in the group. I just had some more morphine and here's a a thought I've had. Isn't morphine great? So when people have been looking back, has anyone listened to episode one recently? I would be intrigued as to how different it is. Well, I think Peter and Ian talked about a brand new Star Trek series called Discovery. How's that series going, Peter? (laughs) I'm still enjoying it. My wife's given up. (laughs) And what does she think about Discovery? (laughs) I do know it sounded very, very echoey because we only had one microphone in the middle of the room. Does anyone have any favourite memories of the podcast over the last four, four and a bit years? I enjoyed episodes. that for our first anniversary, we recorded a podcast where we argued at length about Thor Ragnarok. Very seriously, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Still not over it. No. I enjoyed coming out of a cinema at three o'clock in the morning, <laughs> huddling in a steamy car, looking to all the world like we were dogging. <laughs> <laughs> there were a few of them we just sound a bit stunned, mm. especially the one, the Star Wars one. So not stunned in a good way, just yeah. in a sort of like 
Anita the Tiger. I, I was the Rise of Skywalker. I yeah. was struggling to process the idea of not liking the Star Wars. Oh no! <laughs> it was it was quite hard to get my head around. After four years of therapy, are you okay? I've come to terms with the fact that The Rise of Skywalker is rubbish. <laughs> I still haven't regained my mind or dignity after Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom, which is another mm. strong podcast memory I, for me. I remember that. It was quite a thing to witness how angry and upset you were. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I edited out all the crying. <laughs> <I know> <laughs> yeah, the, the bits on the floor were inaudible. And... Yeah. It's 45 minutes originally, so thank you, Peter, for the, for the <laughs> tightening up of that. I remember John, the Marvel prognosticator, determining that Black Panther would be Marvel's first flop. Yep. I was correct. $1.8 billion <laughs> later. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's been four years of just wonderful memories and great fun. I have a little quiz based on the last 100 episodes, mm. the last four years of us recording this wonderful podcast. The way the scoring is going to work is traditionally complicated. Yay. <laughs> is there a hat? <laughs> no, but I'm asking you questions individually. It's two points for a correct answer. As this podcast is based on friendship, ah, if you need help with an answer, you can ask a friend and then you share the points. So you obviously can't ask me because I'm not your friend. <laughs> <laughs> she looked at me when she said that. <laughs> <laughs> I only actually like Dan. No. Um, <laughs> oh, in, in a room that also features your husband, I feel yeah. very vindicated. <laughs> <laughs> so should you get the answer right with their help? You both score one point each. We'll start with Peter. Okay. I have the most amount of shameful gaps, with okay. seven of them being filled live on this podcast. But who takes <laughs> second spot? Ooh. Spoiler, it is not you. I know this, Peter, I... if you want to ask a friend. <laughs> I think it's Dan. Two points to Peter. Hey. It is. Dan has got five. Mm. It's actually then John with three, mm -hmm. and then Andy and Karis have two. And the Ians have one. Have I done none? Uh, sorry, you have one as well. Oh, right, okay. Uh, yes, I did go through the episode descriptions of all the episodes. Mm. Yeah, because was there not a, a deep deception where you pretended you'd seen Revenge of the Sith and you actually haven't? Uh, no, no uh, two of them did. Peter's uh, shameful gap was Revenge of the Sith, oh, okay. but um, John had also not seen it. Yes, okay. I was very cross <laughs> when I found out. <laughs> John, you came up with the idea for our film Buff or Bluff quiz, but in which episode did it make its debut? I, I'm not sure, and looking around, there's also not sure faces around me, so do I guess for two points, or do I... I'm going to ask Dan for some help. Now, do I deliberately sabotage your attempt at a high score and say episode 97 or something like that? <laughs> oh, now this you is don't it. get the point. Yeah. That's true. Um, it wasn't episode one. Mm -hmm. I reckon it probably came a few later. I want to say three or four. See, I think it's a bit later than that. Okay. I was going to go for sort of 14 or 15. I would go halfway between there and go somewhere in the let, let, six or seven range. Then let, let's go. Let's go for episode ten. It's incorrect, I'm afraid. Too high. It was uh, the second one. Really? Wow. Burgers and dinosaurs. Yeah. Wow. Buff on Bluff has been going in episode two. Dan. Buzz. <laughs> the mention of Hamilton first appeared in episode eight. Oh. oh. But can you remember in what fashion it was introduced? Was it because you had gone to see it? No, I'd not seen it by this stage. I'll give you a slight clue. You well, did I it. didn't get a slight clue. I didn't even get more than one guess. I'll give you no clues, but I will give you another chance. <laughs> I'm going to get another chance. <laughs> I will not give you another chance. Episode two. <laughs> would, you, <laughs> um, would you like to ask a friend? 
Yes, I will ask. Oh, no, so you can give the wrong answer and then ask John, a friend. You slagged off Tom Hanks, okay? You're not, you're not getting anything. I will ask my friend Andy, who I know has listened to all the early episodes. Many times. But I do have the memory of a goldfish. I do remember at the beginning of one episode, you and Hazel were singing You'll Be Back, and then John and Peter were complaining, but this would have been because Hazel had just seen it. So if it was before then, presumably it would have been in a recommendation or something. Did I do a historical buff or bluff? I think you saw it before Hazel. I did. Definitely did. I'd already been listening to the soundtrack obsessively for a couple of years. I think everyone was already sick of me talking about it by episode one. <laughs> Let's say it was a buff or bluff or a recommendation. It was a buff or bluff. Ah. Uh, I will give you one point for it. Okay. <laughs> Not too. Do do, do we, <laughs> Andy gets the point do we as well because he helped no, trigger my memory. No, because you said it was a recommendation. I said it might be a recommendation, <laughs> and that helped me remember what it actually was. Points for everyone. Mm. A very good friend of mine has just last week been diagnosed with autism, and she was delighted that one of the things on her autism diagnosis was an obsession with Lin Manuel Miranda. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So yeah, I'm going to give you one point. And that is my generosity over. I will take it. Andy. Forever. <clears throat> you weren't there, but we know that you listened to it. What was the verdict of the nerd court battle of Armageddon between John and I? If I did need help, I would have asked Judge Dan. But I know that Dan was still bitter about Lost <laughs> and uh, therefore ruled against John and in favour of the defence. Indeed, it was found not guilty, and the prosecution was ordered to watch all of Michael Bay's films in chronological order. That's cruel and unusual punishment. <laughs> I stand by it. Lost was robbed. Peter, we released the first episode of the podcast in 2017, but what was the highest grossing film at the UK box office that year? I don't know. I'm not very good at dates for movies. I had a thought, I'm gonna but go I think with, too I'm going to ask John. My first thought was Infinity War, but I think that was 2018. We were talking about Ragnarok on that first episode, but if that helps yeah. to time you within Marvel movies. It, it's kind of that weird in-between, isn't there? There wasn't a massive franchise film out that year. From the <laughs> smug expression on these two's faces, I would guess there was. Uh, Star Wars? Force Awakens? Mm -hmm. Possibly Last Jedi? I think we reviewed Last Jedi, so therefore I'm going to go for Force Awakens. Force Awakens came out in 2015. <laughs> the Last Jedi came out in 2017. Yeah. <laughs> it was the top grossing film at the UK box office. Can I get a point for giving the right answer even though Peter ignored me? That's fair. <laughs> yeah. No. <laughs> yeah, I'll give you one point for that because you could you'd give them options. John, please describe in detail what is a Chris Hemsworth tree? <laughs> a Chris Hemsworth tree is a large oak or birch tree with like bark in the form of mussels, like a big pictorial, and then you climb into its warm embrace and let its branches cuddle you. <laughs> Look at Andy's face. Uh, two points. Dan, in which episode did Andy make his debut? Was it A, episode 35, Sex and Cookies? B, episode 34, The Dinosaur Dating Game? Or was it C, episode 36, Holy Back Nipples? I would like to ask Andy. Sex and Cookies was my explanation of how I'd managed to wrangle a place. So presumably that was the first episode, so I'm leaning towards that. That one. Sex and Cookies is the correct mm, yep. answer. Yay! For future reference, that is how you worm your way onto the Nerdfest podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I would like the verb worm to be stricken from the record there. Are you still anxious about that size thing we talked about earlier? 
It does I would a bit like Peter's <laughs> remark stricken from the room. <laughs> it, it, it does a bit be worried about the number of guests on the <laughs> podcast she does. So. <laughs> <laughs> That's a lot of cookies. <laughs> Andy, what was the first episode that we recorded online in lockdown called? Was it A, The Long Dark Night? Was it B, We're All in the Void Now? Or was it C, Groundhog Day, Groundhog Day, Groundhog Day? Does anyone know? I know. Am I allowed to? You, know, you can oh, ask a friend. Dan and John know. Who's my best friend? <laughs> 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 Who do you trust? I mean, I trust Dan personally. <laughs> if, are you confident, Dan? <laughs> I am leaning towards Roll in the Void now, but I would like to uh, defer to um, Mr. Watkins for confirmation. That is the name that I remember existing. Team Andy and Dan would like to go for We're All in the Void now. Team Dandy is correct. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> a point each for you. So currently we've got Peter on two, John on three, Dan on three, Andy is currently leading with four. Mm-hmm. Didn't put a stop to that. <laughs> so actually listening to the podcast helps. <laughs> Apparently so. So your last question each. Peter, you presided over our How Deep Is Your Nerd quiz in the episode which saw Andy and I battle John and Louise. Who triumphed? Oh, I'm terrible at 50-50, thanks. I'm going to guess you and Andy. Correct. Ooh. Andy and I are a better couple than John and Louise. John and Louise never talk, obviously. <laughs> we do text each other from the next room quite often. <laughs> to be fair, it was very close. We only won by one point. John, episode 43 was called John is Very Sorry. <laughs> what were you sorry for? There's so many choices. God, there's such a list. <laughs> Can I narrow it down? Did I insult an individual, an area, or a country, or continent? <laughs> None of the above. Done this particular episode. <laughs> Because <laughs> ah, I would have guessed something else for that, yeah. for the thing you've been I, insulting. Yeah, I was thinking of John versus Australia. Yeah, same yeah. here. I was thinking John versus Scotland. <laughs> he has had to apologise to Australia, America and Scotland so far. And <laughs> those are the ones I can remember. But those are the ones he was willing to apologise for. <laughs> yes, but this was something during the episode. I mean, I put it away when you asked. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to ask Andy. I think you were terribly hungover during the recording. There was one episode where I was massively, very, massively hungover. Yes. yes. Uh, I'll, yeah, I'll go for being very, very hungover. Correct. You and Andy get the point. Uh, yeah, we recorded the episode at 6pm, four hours later than we normally did, just to give you a break. Um, and you'd only stopped drinking 12 hours earlier. When asked what your recommendation was going to be that episode, you replied, I have been slowly watching the disintegration of my brain cells. To which Dan replied, so Mandy again then. <laughs> I wonder why I was so hungover. Alcohol, what? probably. Alcohol, yeah. <laughs> Dan. Buzz. What was special about Keris's first appearance on the podcast? It was our special live episode on the Newcastle Improv Festival. It was. That is correct, yes. Did we start recording, I think, at 11 o'clock at night? We did, yeah. yeah. we did. Having, again, we'd done a show earlier in the evening and then watched a show. How was Dan still awake? <laughs> I don't know. So going into this final question, Peter is on four, John is on four, Dan is on five, Andy is on five. Andy, during Dan's getting to nerd you quiz, Dan asked John, what is the nerdiest thing he has ever done? What was it? There seems an obvious person to ask about this. You can ask, but you won't get an answer because honestly, I, I, I genuinely can't remember. 
I don't know either. John, what's the nerdiest thing you've ever done? Um, I visited New Zealand and had a, an orgy with the entire tribe of dwarfs from the Hobbit. <laughs> I would like to. They did. They did, and then I made them do the wash it up after. Can I <laughs> rescind my uh, request? <laughs> nope, that's your only chance. I'm afraid. Or was it watching Mandy nine thousand times in a row? Oh God, Hobbit orgy. Hobbit orgy or nothing. Yeah. Um, no, that is A hobbit hole not is correct. small and very damp. Oh. <laughs> that is not correct on many levels. Um, <laughs> John's answer was dragging Louise across Los Angeles to take hundreds of photos of anything that might have been used in Blade Runner. Yeah, uh, that is correct, yes. The we building. Mm-hmm. Should have taken it to Billingham. She quite enjoyed it, though. What, Billingham? Love you, Louise. Thank you for putting up with me. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's a chance she's left me the week between recording and editing. <laughs> but if not... Okay, so at the end of that round, Peter and John are tied losers on four points. Woohoo! Mm-hmm. Dan and Andy are joint leaders with five. So I have very, very, very quickly come up with a tiebreaker question. As it is the 100th episode, I'd like to bring back another feature for the winner. Oh, no. No. Oh, no. (laughs) The bag of fun. If we still have the same scoring system of two points for a correct answer, does this not mean that John and Peter are still in play? No, this is winner takes all. Damn it. (laughs) (laughs) Let's try. Okay. So this is a kind of a closest two. How many minutes was the first ever episode of the Nerdfest podcast? which is called The Future of Law Enforcement. 43 minutes. 187 minutes. <laughs> can, can John and I have a guess? And see Crap, who's I'm doing maths now. <laughs> I reckon 95 minutes. I reckon 64 minutes. Peter is the closest. Peter oh. wins the sack of fun. Hang on, hang on, that was a tactical 66 error. 66 no, minutes eligible. and 32 seconds. So, Peter, please open the sack of I fun. I was not eligible <laughs> to compete in this one. Oh. <laughs> oh. Ah. No looking. Mandy, Mandy, Mandy. Oh, got a copy of that. <laughs> okay. Oh, 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 I've just yeah. seen it. And a deck in Alien Autopsy. Oh, oh wow. Oh, what a stinker that is. Has anybody seen it? I think I have. <laughs> Wasn't good. Do you want the souvenir copy? <laughs> no, thanks. Well, I'm sure you'll enjoy that, Peter. Mm, do report back. Uh, I, I know Keris speculated on whether she'd enjoy all of the things in that sack of fun. I uh, don't think that's probably true. No, there's a few treats in there, but mainly tricks. Isn't there a um, Mrs. Brown's Boys in there? I think Mrs. Brown's Boys season one is in there somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. So you have had a lucky escape. <laughs> Excellent quiz, Hazel, and an outstanding outcome. <laughs> so now for episode 101 we're going to create the nerdfest room 101 where we are going to pick things to chuck in there that we find annoying cue ominous music can we chuck john in there oh <laughs> look at his little face <laughs> I mean, yes. <laughs> I'd feel a little bit bad. You, re- you realise after that he's picking Tom Hanks. Are you also going in room 101, Peter? Yes, I will, John. Then I don't want to go in. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to be nice. I tried to be nice and look what happens. John, would you like to go first? Tom Hanks. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> Moving on. So there's a thing that I know that Hazel is probably going to disagree with me on. 
because one of her favourite writers does it a lot. Mm-hmm. But what I really hate is a film or TV show that starts with an exciting sequence, an action sequence, and it goes, 12 hours earlier, oh. last week. Oh, yeah. yeah. It <laughs> limits the narrative because you know who's going to be alive at that point. You know where it's heading towards. And not to go up films like Pulp Fiction, which play with narrative a lot and mm. kind of do that in some way, but in an interesting way. But it's just a shorthand excuse to put an action sequence at the beginning and also the acknowledgement that the next half hour is going to be quite dull. There was a time many years ago where it was really interesting and really original. My favourite episode of Firefly starts with Captain oh, Mal the, Reynolds the collapsing out of gas. Yeah, yeah. And then it cuts back so you see how they got to that point and then it carries on. But now pretty much every show and movie does it and it's not really clever or original anymore Mm. because everybody does it. Bond movies used to do a slightly different thing, which is they'd end the previous mission and you'd see that. So Mm. that was a reasonable excuse to just show the exciting action sequence, but it doesn't feel as lazy then. Yeah, it's kind of the freeze frame. Well, I guess you're wondering how I got here. Uh, Yeah. Can you add an amendment to your 101 admission in that Aaron Sorkin can still do it? Aaron Sorkin can still do it. Has he done it in recent things that he's made? Or are you just thinking West Wing era? Because that was long enough ago for me to qualify uh, in the clever and original. Did it in the newsroom? Yeah. Has he done it in the news with his films recently? Don't think so. I haven't seen the Ricardo's film yet. The Chicago 7 has flashbacks in that you start in the trial and you get flashbacks to it happening. Mm. That, that's a different that's thing. That's a different yeah. thing, yeah. It does feel like the kind of thing that a producer would come in and force upon the filmmakers. This is boring. We need to start with an explosion or the audience won't watch and it's a little bit insulting. We can just get into a story and slowly build up to something. It doesn't have to start with something that's attention grabbing. So is it allowed to go into Room 101 then with the Sorkin Amendment? I say yes. Yeah, I say say yes too with the amendment. Obviously I say yes. I'll say yes. I abstain. Room 101, it goes into. <laughs> Sound effect. <laughs> um, I assume we just send a memo to every Hollywood studio tomorrow. And yeah, yeah. They, yeah, they yeah do that's that. how it works. Yeah. Legally binding. John, do you want to choose someone to go next? Uh, Peter, would you like to go next? Sure. Is it the sack of fun? <laughs> <laughs> it is now. <laughs> Mine is cliched music choices in movies and trailers. Both these tiny and predictable number of songs that get used all over the mm-hmm. place but also the styles that have been more recently used. For instance, since it was featured in Platoon, White Rabbit gets wheeled out for anything to do with mm-hmm. Vietnam War. Yes. It's a useful shorthand, but it's also very unimaginative. Corner Screen Rant, these are a few of the top offenders. Low Rider by War. Oh Yeah by Yellow. Bad Moon Rising by Business yeah. Clear oh, yeah. Revival. All Along the Watchtower. Mm-hmm. Walking on Sunshine. Staying Alive. Bad to the Bone. And Born to be Wild. Yeah. One of my favourite songs of all time is Life on Mars by Bowie. Mm. I absolutely love that song. I adore it. But every trailer where it's people yearning to leave a small town or wanting to have an exciting adventure seems to have that. Mm. Licorice Pizza used it. And I'm thinking, oh, it's great. That's But then I'm thinking I've heard it in four or five other things over mm. the last year. I remember when we were trying to choose a wedding song and we're like, oh, we really like this one. And then we discovered it's used in a you know, sofa advert, which they all use all the time. <laughs> like, oh. yeah. How do you feel, Peter, about slow down acoustic versions? That was part two about complaining about was <laughs> the style. For a while, you used to get the wispy, girly voice singing a cover of an 80s or 90s song. The John Lewis advert syndrome. Yeah. <laughs> but now it's a moody dystopian version instead. Yes. Yeah. Where they take on something like Girls Just Want to Have Fun or Take On Me mm. or something like that and do a yeah, slowed down yeah, version yeah. of it. 
I think Matrix Resurrections even did that with White Rabbit. Yeah. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and it had these weird... Uh, oh, actually, no, that's, that's a very yeah. new thing, which is what they do is they have the original vocal, but a totally different background track. Oh. So that's an interesting little twist they've just discovered, which now everything will do. Okay. But does the Matrix get a pass because it does actually have a White Rabbit in it? I think that just makes it on the... Cute little bunny nose. (laughs) (laughs) And it's not so much the idea of doing a cover. It's just that every trailer is doing the same thing. A good cover is good. I enjoy like the disturbed cover of Sound of Silence is great. Yeah, the classic one of those is um, the Gavin Jules version of Mad World on That's exactly what I've got written here (laughs) in my notes next. Uh, Yeah, it's just the predictability. That's the main thing. Oh, The other little bonus thing is that noise you get halfway through every single trailer. Oh, is that the the bass drop? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you get like a quiet little moody thing and then you get and then, oh, shit's got serious and the music mm-hmm. becomes two or three times as fast and you get the action sequences. And every trailer follows the same format. Trailers mm-hmm. are all slave to convention mm-hmm. and uh, they'll, they'll uh, all fix upon the thing. After Inception with the big blaring horn, that got used in <laughs> yeah. every other yeah. trailer. Um, trailers can just fuck off in general. I, think. <laughs> I, I, I have that weird thing with the, um, do you remember the Lord of the Rings trailers? Yes. yes. That use so the mu- um, I know what you're thinking of. The music from Requiem for a Dream. Which I, watching it at the age of 13, did not know and just assumed it was the music yeah. from the Lord of the so Rings trailer. I, I had this weird churning in my gut <laughs> when I watched the Lord of the Rings trailer and then if you watch Requiem for a Dream, which I'd done maybe a few months before, mm. that music is over this awful, gut-wrenching scene of Drug abuse and humiliation, and then suddenly it's there for Oxide. You kind of like this little mm. sense memory kicked in, and I felt really uncomfortable watching that trailer. And I had no idea why until it clicked. <laughs> Great piece of music, but weird. Yeah, I'm with you, Peter, for bad trailer music. I say yes. Mm-hmm. And probably the worst example that combines all of this is Suicide Squad, where they got the trailer guys to re edit the movie and they used the most blindingly predictable music choices throughout the entire thing. And it just all felt so felt like you were being used watching it, which is weird. Yeah, I would also like to vote yes, Um, not only for the reason itself, but also the context you gave in that it really limits imagination. If you put it into Room 101, Mm -hmm. then maybe someone will come up with other music to use. Yeah, Guardians of the Galaxy, for instance, had its own set of music, some of which you'd heard, some of which you hadn't heard, and it created its own little world as a result of making those choices. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to put it in because I like music, and though... It's sometimes annoying in a trailer. I mean, the, the example I use, but I still got to listen to 30 Seconds of Life on Mars. I was happy. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I'm going to vote yes. Yeah, the, the, these things annoy me in exactly the same way they do you. Right, okay. Sound effect. Ah! You know you don't all need to say sound effect because you've done it twice now. <laughs> <laughs> sound effect, sound effect. Sound effect. We'll sound put effect. sound effects on. Can the sound effect just be sound effect <laughs> with like an echo on it? Yeah, we were providing the sound effect. <laughs> we weren't suggesting it. Peter, choose someone to go next. Uh, I'm going to choose Dan next. I'm going to start with a message from The Void. Ian Mayer has asked me to deliver his Room 101 pick, presented in the form of a brief quiz and some related trivia. Question. What is Ian Mayer's favourite monster? Godzilla. Oh, Godzilla. Correct. Godzilla. Question two. I what is Ian... General Pinochet, but... <laughs> <laughs> Tyrant, not a monster. Um, what is Ian Mayer's favourite creature? Godzilla. 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 Now, if you need a clue... He's black and white, wet, and originally in 3D. Oh, the creature on the Black Lagoon. Thank you, John. Correct. Ah. The little bit of trivia that connects these two is that both of these horrific screen icons first debuted in 1954. 
and 1,954 is the number of times Ian Mayer will punch a screenwriter <laughs> who writes the line, we're not so different, you and I. <laughs> a piece of dialogue so hackneyed it's become a terrible meme. So for the sake of everyone, will the assembled nerds agree to consign this line of dialogue to Room 101? We're not so oh, yeah. different, you and I. Hmm. Does Voldemort say that at some point? Probably. I think he does. I think that specific line of dialogue could be used in other ways, and I don't want to limit screenwriters, but that general concept of the hero and villain being two sides of the same coin, fuck that shit. (laughs) (laughs) I feel the opposite. I think that's a fruitful way to write your characters, but I don't like hackneyed, cliched dialogue. (laughs) But there are other ways to write characters as well. I've been internetting. It's used in Raiders of the Lost Ark, Falling Down, Transformers, Red Dawn, X-Men First Class, and also spoofed in Austin Powers. Um, what we now need to do is we need to go through the list of computer games that Ian Mayer has written dialogue for <laughs> and see if at any point during the hundreds of hours of narrative he's written that line appears in any of his games, and if so, Ian goes into room 101. <laughs> Next door to the void. And what's your choice, Dan? My choice is romantic leads who are forced to live apart at the end of the story and can't be together because it's the only way. And this is an established and accepted trope, and I know it is, but I personally hate it. Uh, so some examples. His Dark Materials, at the end of those books, Lyra and Will can sit on the same bench in Oxford, but in different parallel worlds. Never in the same one. Hate it. They could just be happy. Uh, Pirates of the Caribbean, Elizabeth and Will, at the end of the third one, can only see each other once every ten years, and that's it. But we had to be miserable with the rest of the Pirates of the Caribbean I know, yeah. films. They, they should do, as well. They do fix this in the fifth one, but still, hate it. Um, and even in the Harry Potter books, after Dumbledore's uh, funeral, spoilers, in the sixth one, All Harry... spoilers. I know, I don't care. It's been years. Uh, Harry dumps Ginny to go and find Horcruxes because he can't do that if they're a couple for some reason. Oh yeah, that was bullshit. H- hate it. Uh, Smallville, Lana Lang gets kryptonited. And I don't mind if one half of a couple gets killed off. But if they're both alive and the plot resolves with they can't be together, I have to headcanon an extra ending where they do end up happy together. Learn to embrace the misery, Dan. No! (laughs) A sad ending can be very good. No, it can't. Mm. Happy ending, please. (laughs) We've seen Andy's movie choices. (laughs) I'm torn, much like heartbreak, because I don't agree with your point, but I do agree with your sentiment. (laughs) But no, I can't put that into Room 101, I'm afraid. Because yeah. sometimes it's, it feels more real to keep them apart. Yes, I know that, but I hate it. It does feel more real sometimes. But sometimes it feels really, really engineered. Like the Smallville example where she, Lana Lang gets kryptonited because she didn't want to be in the show anymore. And, oh, if I kill her into the future, if you will kill you. And then, fucking, oh, yeah. When you say kryptonited, turned into <laughs> kryptonite. Or she gets infected with kryptonite that turns her into a superhero. But because she's got kryptonite, if she lets Junior Superman put, out, put his cock in her, she'll explode. <laughs> from what I understand. <laughs> Is that how they described it on the show? That's exactly how they described it on the, the teen-based Superman show. That sounds great. It's difficult because it's a, it's a good plot device, in, but it sometimes... Yeah, I don't deny it's a good <laughs> plot device. I'm just saying I hate it and I need it to not happen. It seems, I think it's been overused. Can I send it to Room 101 for five years? Yeah. <laughs> it's a no from me. More overused is the happy ending where they get together in the end, and so often it's been... I'm amazed you went for that one. <laughs> <laughs> the male hero um, wins a sexy lamp at the end of his mission and, and gets the girl. Sexy lamp! <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Lighting up the Chris Hemsworth tree. Oh, 
This feminist movement, eh? We've, we've come so far only to be called sexy lamps. <laughs> well, it's um, it has been presented so often as uh, the male hero um, as his uh, reward for be killing careful, the bad guy. I'll turn mine off soon. I say that's the thing with a lamp; you can switch it off, <laughs> can't you? <laughs> I'm talking about yeah. films presenting women as objects to be won by men as as a congratulations for a job well done. Die hard. You want to win yeah. a lamp? But this, but this yeah. is a, this is a totally these these are established couples who have been together for some time and in some cases for the duration of the story who then are ripped apart ah this well, is this is not you get together at the end but then 10 seconds later you're not this is love, this is well, different stories quite often have a degree of tragedy in them. yes i know but they shouldn't <laughs> <laughs> yeah but the thing is if they all had happy endings I would be happy. <laughs> <laughs> I have a similar thing with long-running series where they just continually throw obstacles to stop the two characters getting together yeah. because that would be the end of the series. Because it all fell apart as soon as they actually got together. Yeah. Castle being the most obvious. Um, Frasier yeah. and Friends to some extent, I guess. Peter, are you going um, to quell I'm Dan's not going to put it in Room oh. 101. I was fighting I'm a little bit there. Yeah, and uh, the bad news is, Daniel, that I'm afraid you can't stay in this room to do the podcast with us anymore due to some weird magic. <laughs> We're not so different, you and I, John. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Dan, choose someone to go next. Andy. I choose Andy. Ah, thank you. I feel like a Pokemon. <laughs> guns. I want to put guns into room 101, please. Uh, I've got like two, big muscles. Um, I've got two objections to guns in film and TV. Uh, the first is the predictable left-wing complaint about normalising and glorifying an instrument designed for killing people. But we learn behaviour from what we see, and um, on-screen violence does influence in opinions and perceptions. And in real-life situations, an individual is likely to draw upon stories that they've watched. Uh, if our stories drill into us ideas about guns being mighty artefacts of the righteous or simple everyday tools, then we absorb that and regurgitate those opinions. When an unhinged nutjob insists that they need an arsenal of machine guns to defend their home, they're imagining themselves in an action movie, not in real life. So the real world would be a better place if guns were less commonplace on our screens. But my second argument is simpler and less political. Guns are fucking boring. Through massive overexposure, they've become the most tiresome and lazy screenwriting crutch that there is. A gun is a fast way of creating a power dynamic without having to do any character work whatsoever. The US version of The Office lampooned this idea brilliantly with Michael Scott's awful improv habit of immediately introducing a gun into every scene. He explained himself by saying, what's the most exciting thing that can happen on TV, in movies or in real life? Somebody has a gun. Hollywood seems to believe this wholeheartedly, assuming that firearms are naturally cool and exciting. They simply must appear everywhere all the time because anything else is lower stakes and therefore boring. I've gotten to the stage where I see a gun on a poster or in a trailer and I'm immediately disinclined to watch because I assume that the thing is going to be a dull, brainless schlockfest. I'm sick of it. Please do something new. Please explore other forms of conflict. Please retire, Bruce Willis. <laughs> right, see, the thing that came to mind for me with that is The Punisher. I didn't watch The Punisher series for pretty much the reasons that Andy gave there. There are ultra-violent gun nuts who mm. wear Punisher t-shirts, and that is because of the character of the Punisher. Mm. So I entirely see Andy's point here. And they lose their impact yeah. through overuse. I'm thinking, not of films and TV, but the Uncharted games, which I love playing, but my goodness, Nathan Drake is a mass murderer. <laughs> yeah, we've talked about this. Is it narrative dissonance? Is this the thing, particularly in computer games? If you play like The Last of Us, they shoot hundreds of zombies, 
and hundreds of alive, live people. Live people. And then the cutscenes are going, I can't kill anybody. Like, you've just shot 200 people. Mm. Uh, I would like guns to work consistently in films. Mm. It seems that guns only shoot and kill people if that person's not integral to the plot. <laughs> uh, yeah. uh, you know, if you're James Bond, you can have a machine gun fired at you from 10 feet away and it won't do any harm. Mm-hmm. But I'm going to go not to Room 101 and I'm going to give an example. Guns, aliens, no guns, alien free. Ah, case closed. Case closed. <laughs> can I put an amendment of unrealistic, couldn't exist in our world sci-fi guns? Yeah, like I would agree with Star that. Wars blasters and things like yeah, that. Those things don't bother me so much. But a great example is the modern slew of superhero films, and the mm-hmm. violence in that is all kind of fantastical and otherworldly. And it offers opportunities for creativity and, and a point of difference. Really, the things I'm just playing sick of are all of the bottom shelf Bruce Willis tax relief films that he's been making of late. And uh, it's, <laughs> it's, just, it's, it's just a guy with a gun. Not according to the poster, though. It's just a guy with a finger. Yeah, in Bangkok Dangerous, the Nicolas Cage film, they had to edit the gun out of the poster, but they just left his hand in somebody. It looks yeah. like he's got really, really bad out. <laughs> Arthritis. Arthritis. Mm. Yeah, but anything that doesn't look like the guns in our world um, and has the potential to just have a different flavour, then yeah, I'm fine with that. But isn't it more about banning guns and not about banning <sighs> guns and films? Um, I mean, isn't the problem I mean, the guns themselves? Well, yes, it's not going to happen. But um, the reason that you politically can't restrict guns in the way that would make sense in America is because of the culture around guns. People just like guns. And culture is massively, massively, massively influenced by media that people consume. If, if you start there, then you can change, um, change the culture and you can change people's opinions and then it becomes politically possible. I don't think you can be that expansive. I think you can say, I want less guns in action films and so on. But if you're making a World War II film set in the trenches, historically they will have had guns and they will have been shooting at each other. You can make a drama film where someone has been held hostage. That's not an exploitative drama film. Mm-hmm. That kind of thing. So it's more the going around shooting hundreds uh, of people. Yeah. yeah. Can we add an amendment that you can only use a gun three times <laughs> in a film? I mean, one of my favourite films is The Terminator, and that's mm-hmm. very, very gunny. But mm-hmm. um, it's, it's like anything in, in films and TV that can be used well or can be used badly. And it's, yeah. it's so irresponsible gunning. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. With the sci-fi fantasy amendment, I am a yes on that. What about with zombie films? Because you've got to shoot zombies in the head. Baseball you don't clubs? have to. You can throw records at them. You can yeah. hit them with a cricket bat. You're damning all those people in that zombie-filled no. world to uh, a much remember, lower chance of survival. Remember, famous zombie film, Shaun of the Dead, taking place in a country where you can't readily get hold of guns. Mm-hmm. They managed. Yeah. yeah. I think the point is it's going to force more imagination. Yep, that's what I want. I'm just just tired of guns being a crutch. Contrast to Zack Snyder's Army of the Dead because they didn't have to rely on any imagination. It's just bang, bang, shoot, shoot. (laughs) (laughs) Or the camera that was in focus or any storytelling. I don't think I can send it in because I think it would restrict films too much. A action hero with a gun who just shoots people constantly with no responsibility or comeback. I will put that in Room 101, but I don't think I'll put guns as a whole into mm. Room 101. John Farthing there banishing John Wick to Room 101. <laughs> oh, shit, fuck no. I love that film. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> okay, Andy, would you like to choose someone to go next? Um, Hazel, why don't you Ooh, go next? 
I would like to put the increased use of strobe lighting into room 101. Mm. Mm. The main reason behind this is that as someone with mild photosensitive epilepsy, um, the overuse of strobe lighting, especially when it's coupled with motion, tends to make me faint, which definitely lessens my enjoyment of the film. And H's nightclubs. Yes. <laughs> uh, it, can, it can be a real problem for um, many people with this condition. Mm. So films now are obviously asked to add strobe lighting warnings to their films and cinemas do that as well. Um, but it means that people who suffer with this condition, depending on how serious the condition is, they're asked to forego any movies that they want to watch, which contains it, which feels a bit like... There, there is quite a high percentage of people that have that yeah. to some degree, isn't there? It always seems odd to me that they, they do something that knowingly can cause health effects to people. Yeah, yeah, and I want to try and offer a reasoned argument because there isn't now a limit. There's a, like a threshold that you can't go beyond, okay. but it can be ignored. There's a famous incident in Japan in 1997. It's an episode of a Pokemon anime. Yes, I've Electric heard of this. Soldier por- Porygon. Porygon. It featured a scene that depicted a huge explosion using extremely bright flashing red and blue lights with a strobe effect at 12 hertz, causing 685 children to be sent to hospital. Yeah. And that episode was never broadcast here for that reason. No. So the fact that it's been managed is great. And I do understand the reason that strobe lighting is commonly used and that it's used to make things more exciting and maybe build an atmosphere, make explosions look much bigger than they would in real life. But even under a managed threshold, it can have detrimental effects on the people who suffer. It all depends on the frequency at which the light flashes and the intensity of the light source and how close you are to it. But it also depends on the pattern of the light, so the alternation between light and bright areas, which is kind of my sticking point. And if these factors are all triggered by the strobe lighting, it can you know, cause really Mm. dangerous things like seizures if i see strobe lighting it's kind of like screeching violins like it makes me feel dizzy and sometimes i can faint depending on how much Mm. it's been used i've never had a seizure but it definitely can happen so many scenes in things like the last jedi they're poorly lit and they've got people in black clothing they're moving about in shadow then they've just got constant lighting and sparks going off and it's it's quite quite tough to watch it's the contrast of the dark and then like the insane brightness which which has the effect is it worse since projectors have got much brighter, as they Possibly. seem to have over the last couple of years? Yeah, I think that's a factor. I think more and more movies are going for poorly lit and dark backgrounds. Um, Terminator Dark Fate, I remember. I like, barely see anything in this film. Yeah, a lot of the you can't see is the projector. To, they turn the bulb down to try and save electricity mm. and make it run longer. The most recent Spider-Man film, the show I went to see, had a thing that said strobe lighting. Mm-hmm. And I took that to be that they had special effects in the cinema which flashed mm-hmm. strobes at you. Oh. And, th- and then I came out going, where were they? I didn't notice them. Did you notice yeah. them? I was saying to Robert. And he's going, no, I didn't notice them. Mm-hmm. I thought it was literally strobes. <laughs> well, this is an easy yes for me. Yeah. Get it in there. I, I, it's hard because I understand filmmakers' desire to want to create an atmosphere and maybe they want to make people feel uncomfortable. Like Blade Runner, for example. Mm. They want people to feel that dystopian and then like sense of consumerism as well and they use strobe lighting to do it and i also understand because in this age of you know everything's on screens for us and they have to try and hold our attention and so many adverts are now like flash 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 it's just it's not good for people who who have this Mm. and so i think if if it's put in room 101 and you can't use strobe lighting anymore which is i assume is what's going to happen definitely that's really yeah any producers (laughs) cinematographers who want to add uh visual flair to a movie or create an atmosphere they find another technique that doesn't cause Mm. people to pass out Mm. i mean Mm. i 
they don't really care about people passing out because it doesn't affect me. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, it's not a problem for me. But I find that technique really annoying, the flashing of the dark to the light and stuff. I just find it's a... I often see, find it's a lazy technique to cover badly edited action yeah. and to try and... Whenever characters go into a nightclub. I mean, yeah. I've been in nightclubs. And I've never been in a nightclub where it's entirely strobe lighting that I'm aware of. Or lens flares. Uh, no, well, no. you were yeah. passed out at the time. I did pass out immediately. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's my excuse. <laughs> Why did you pass out, Jay? Was the, was the strobe light? Yeah, definitely. Not the alcohol. <laughs> Not the... Did you see J.J. Abrams apologise recently for... Um, the Rise of Skywalker. Well, <laughs> the lens flares. Mm. He mm. said, mm, yeah, maybe, maybe it was a bit too much. Oh, God, I'm <laughs> glad he apologised, but I think he should apologise again and every day until I forgive him. Uh, I, hate, <laughs> I hate lens flares. I hate, hate them. I'm, like anything, they can be used correctly, but generally they're not. They're just... It looks uh, like you've made a mistake. It looks really like the cinema photographer is like, oh, oh well, we'll keep yeah. it in. <laughs> so is that, I think that's pretty unanimous for Room 101, isn't it? I think so. Yeah, yeah. definitely. I think so. Ah! I mean, actively causing a health crisis in someone is... The name of my sex tape. <laughs> sound effect. <laughs> what sound effect do you suggest? <laughs> I'll leave that up to you. <laughs> also, two quick ones. Um, stop fridging women. And um, yep. if you're driving a car, look where you're going. Yep. Yes, yes. Both those. <laughs> well, I think we've made the world a better place. I think so. I mean, not for the romantic couples, but... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Dan, you have a quiz. I do. Since we've had 100 episodes, I've got a quick quiz for you all. I have some things that came in at number 100 on a top 100 list. Mm-hmm. So I'll tell you the thing that came in at number 100. You tell me what the top 100 list is. So, okay. for example, <laughs> okay. if I said Ghost Rider Spirit of Vengeance, the answer might be the 100 greatest Nicolas Cage films. Yes. It would be higher. <laughs> I know, but I couldn't think of 100 Nicolas Cage films to put... At... <laughs> John probably good. I, I know. So, anyone can answer. Get your buzzer noises mm. ready. Number one, Reservoir Dogs. Buzz. John. 100 greatest independent films. Think broader. 100 greatest films? Correct. <laughs> Point for John. Uh, number two, do not adjust your set. Buzz. John. 100 greatest comedy shows. Incorrect. Buzz. 100 greatest things Andy has never heard of. It might be, but no. Buzz, um, Peter. 100 greatest 60s TV shows. You're getting closer. Think of the audience. Buzz. 100 greatest children's shows. Correct, John. <laughs> Number three, Pokemon Go. Buzz. Buzz. Andy. Um, 100 greatest uh, mobile games. I'll give you that. 100 greatest video games. Mm. Number four, The Andorian Incident. Buzz. 100 greatest Star Trek episodes. Correct. It is the 100 greatest Ooh. Star Trek episodes, according to The Hollywood Reporter. <laughs> Number five, Zippity Doodah. Buzz. Buzz. Andy. 100 greatest movie songs. Correct. Uh, as voted by the AFI. So my we're oh halfway through. It's two points to Andy, three to John. Number six, Edna Mode. Buzz. That's Peter. 100 greatest cartoon characters. I'll give you Animated. that. 100 greatest movie characters. As voted for by Empire in 2020. Number seven, love means never having to say you're sorry. Buzz. Andy. Um, the 100 most incorrect movie quotes. Um... <laughs> I will give you that because I assume by incorrect you meant favourite. 
I'll Hang take on. it. <laughs> Number eight, Shit's Creek. Buzz, um, 100 worst pun titles. Incorrect. Buzz, 100 greatest sitcoms. Correct, John. According to Rolling Stone in 2021. Mm. Number nine, Father Magruder. La. 100 greatest Father Ted characters. Oh, sadly not. <laughs> it's a good effort. <laughs> if I give you a clue, he appeared in the film Brain Dead. The Peter Buzz. Jackson movie. The Peter Jackson movie. John? 100 Greatest Movie Priests. La. <laughs> no. Hazel? 100 Greatest Movie Deaths. No. Buzz, 100 Greatest Kung Fu Priests who end up being... <laughs> uh, I, think he, I think he ends up being impaled upon a gravestone. That's, somehow he's giving him the finger. Buzz, 100 Greatest Least Convincing Priests. Uh, <laughs> incorrect. Buzz. Um, Andy? Uh, 100 Greatest Movie, movie Deaths. Uh, it's incorrect. I just I'm, said that. Oh, sorry. Uh, I don't think we're going to get this one. Hazel's going to get the point for this, um, <laughs> just because she hasn't got one yet. Uh, it's 100 Greatest Horror Movie Characters. Oh. And finally, number 10, Wacky Races. Buzz, 100 Greatest Cartoons. That is correct. Channel 4's 100 Greatest Cartoons. So at the end of our 100 Greatest Quiz, we have John with a score of 5 uh, Andy with a score of three, and Peter and Hazel get one each. Woo! John wins the hundred greatest Nicholas Cage films sack box of set. Sack of fun, sack of fun. Oh, no, sack of fun. <laughs> Where is the sack of fun? Peter's hit. Peter's confiscated it. <laughs> Let's see what I've got. I'm very excited about about this. Come on, Don't Mrs. Brown boys. It is. Oh no, New Year's Eve. Um, this is one of those it's the 100 greatest films set in December it's one of these terrible um, romantic comedy things that have a massive cast ensemble cast give us the cast Um, I don't recognise most of the people I can see John Bon Jovi on there John Bon Jovi is on there yeah do we recognise it is that a Drew Barrymore is that ludicrous uh, oh, it's it's definitely, no, it looks, yeah. <laughs> Doesn't it have a list of who's it, in it, it somehow? It, it does, but it's printed in a terrible font that I can't read. Let's see who's let's, in let's this. Have a, let's have a look, John. It does look like one of those Agatha Christie movies from the I 80s. I can see Ashton Kutcher, Halle Ooh. Berry's there. Zach Efron? I think that's Jessica Beale. Is that Robert De Niro? I'm not sure. Seth, Seth Myers is there. Yeah, that's Robert De Niro. Oh, Jesus. They've all been airbrushed to oblivion. And two glasses of wine. <laughs> two glasses <laughs> of wine appear in the film. Um... Oh, speaking of inanimate objects that should appear in films, I haven't talked about Geode yet. My my new favourite Star Wars character, like the two glasses of wine on that DVD cover, does appear to be an inanimate object. Um, he's in the High Republic series of books that are set hundreds of years before the films. His name is Geode, and he appears, to all intents and purposes, to be a big rock. And he's not, but he acts like a big rock, and it's amazing. I'll show you a picture. Did he do a rock, paper, scissors joke? He doesn't, but he, he gives people like stony glares and looks at them with a flinty expression and that sort of thing. They're like Korg. This is Geode. Mm. It looks quite rocky. That is. He is yeah, mm. he, he is a rock to his friends. Um, right. he, Call that a mound more than a rock, but mm. yeah. A plinth could be acceptable. Um, but he's actually a Vintian from the planet Vint. He's a bit of a party animal. He likes the ladies. He's an excellent ship navigator. He's a rock. He's not a rock. I mean, he is a rock, but he's... <laughs> is he played by the rock? If he gets a film series or a Disney Plus, if Boba Fett can have one, Geode can <laughs> but have one. How, how would does... anyone know if the rock played him because he doesn't move and doesn't talk? Well, he must <laughs> move because he deflects blaster bolts, he saves hostages, he navigates his ship. 
just nobody sees him move. Is that a slight on the rocks acting? <laughs> and in terms of dialogue, most of the time Geode sensibly says nothing, or he's lost for words, or he just sits there stone-faced. How does he insert the ladies exactly? Nobody knows, but... He's he, rock hard, John. Yeah. <laughs> he must be. Um, but yeah, he just kind of stands there and flirts with them and, you know... Star Wars needs to stop. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All except Geode. Geode will go on forever. Do you remember how there was like the Star Wars extended universe? It all went a bit crazy and batshit. Then Disney came in and said, no, we're going to get rid of all this because it's insane and we're going to start over again. How about a big piece of rock? Quote, Geode responded with his typical flinty stare. <sighs> they just want to write mm. rock puns, don't they? Yeah. Yeah. They sat in the cockpit of the ship in what he reckoned were varying degrees of numbness. Geode had shut down completely, saying nothing. He gave his companions a flat look. Oh dear. Uh, it's absolute nonsense, but it's the best thing I've ever seen. And if anybody's been watching those Elmo videos on Twitter where uh, Elmo's friend on Sesame Street has a pet rock and Elmo cannot understand because it's just a rock, um, this is Geode. All hail Geode. And that brings us to the end of another episode of Nerdfest. We'll be back in a few weeks' time. In the meantime, if you've been enjoying us for 101 episodes or even just this one episode, we will be very grateful if you could leave us a review and a star rating. John, what is this week's reward for anyone who does that? You've got two choices. If you leave us a review, I will come round and visit you. On one hand, I will have the sack of fun. On the other hand, I will have a USB stick containing the unedited versions of every single podcast, <laughs> either of which you get to share on the sofa with me. Yay. Until <laughs> next time, you've been listening to... A man who has gone into a nightclub with no music, no flashing lights or guns, unable to flash back to why I got there, but looking forward to an uncomplicated romance at the end of the <laughs> evening. <laughs> a man who wants to see old guns replaced in films by Silly String. Or walkie talkies like Spielberg. Hang on, you didn't make it clear that was the option. I, I changed my mind, it's going in. <laughs> and a man who's always accompanied by a noise going. A man who's pretty confident this will end up on the 100 Greatest Nerdfest episodes. <laughs> At number 100. <laughs> and a woman who, if she had to have many of her shameful gaps filled, she's glad to do it surrounded by her friends. <laughs> oh, oh well. I think. <laughs> See you next time. Bye-bye. Bye. 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 E.T. did take out the guns and replace them with walkie-talkies. Mm -hmm. And it was universally divided for it. He's put them back in now. Why are those cops not pointing guns at children? Why? <laughs> they were taken out at Drew Barrymore's request. Because she thought that cops pointing guns at kids probably wasn't the best thing. Yeah. Dan, how do you feel members. about the uh, romantic couple in E.T. being separated at the end? It's not that they can't be together. E.T. could return and, and visit him at, at any point. But if he stayed, he'd die. Yeah, it, it wasn't presented as a... Yeah, it, I, it was, on, a, it was a different thing. I realise he'd never thought about this. No, yeah. you've ruined this film for him. So when they edited <laughs> the guns out, it was a bit short, so they put the sex scene back in. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> Did you not remember that, mate? It's great, it's yeah. great, it's great yeah. at fingering. It was, yeah. Oh, uh -huh. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah. Fist or walkie-talkie? <laughs> Ouch.